0: Let me add my um, uh, welcome to, uh, to wonders. It's great to see you all this afternoon, and particularly if this is your uh, first time joining us. My name is Mitch Spence. So I'm one of the elders here at uh, Living Hope Church. And if this is not your first time and you are a regular, it's great to see you as well, uh, as always. Please do stick around, everyone, for a cup of tea after the service. It'd be uh, good to spend some time chatting and getting to know one another and speaking of some of the truth uh, that we've been hearing this afternoon. This afternoon, as Tawana has already said, we continue our our four-week series in 1 Corinthians 30 and 31, and if uh, you weren't with us uh, last week, then uh, yes, uh, you heard right, four weeks in just two verses. It's not our normal method of preaching here at Living Hope Church, but it does allow us to slow down a little bit, to zoom in, to soak up all of the glorious truth of just a couple of verses written to the church in Corinth, because not only is uh, 1 Corinthians 30 and 31, some of the... um, some of the most important uh, verses that we have when it comes to our, our doctrine, our understanding of, the, uh, of salvation. But as I suggested last week, uh, these two verses provide us with something of a, a doorway, a gateway into exploring this multi-dimensional world, world of being in Christ, something we theologians term our union uh, with Christ. And last week we, we simply kind of opened up that reality, that multi-dimensional world We kind of stood in the shadow of these these great uh, kind of gateways uh, and just kind of peered uh, into this world. We just looked in. We managed to to push our way through the the coats uh, within a C.S. Lewis kind of closet and step through the door and we just put our foot into Narnia. And that's all we did is we just opened up the idea of this dimensional world of being uh, in Christ. We dealt with that first clause of uh, verse 30, didn't we? And because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to take one or two more steps into this world of being in Christ. We're going to um, I just go for a, a little wonder, if you like, as we lean into the second half of verse 30. Nothing too hectic, nothing too deep. In fact, like our slightly nervous, anxious children we will we'll always be able to see the, the doorway behind us. We're not going to go that far uh, into this world. We won't lose sight of that door. But it is my prayer... That by dwelling on these two verses for just a few weeks, we'll come not only to treasure their importance, not only to bask in their beauty, but to be invigorated by the glorious reality that they proclaim of being in Christ. And so let me pray for us uh, as we begin. Father, this afternoon we bow before you with the Apostle Paul and ask that according to the riches of your glory you may grant us to be strengthened with power through your Spirit, deep in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, that being rooted and grounded in love we may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so to you, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask, we'll think according to your power at work within us. To you be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Well, as always, we're going to uh, read the passage. And I know it's a a short one, but uh, as I suggested last week, it would be a great one to memorize. And so if you have a Bible with you, uh, if not, it should come up on the screen next to me. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 30 and 31. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, that the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. But again, uh, it would be uh, great, I think, to read the NIV as well. Uh, we, we have a, a little bit of time. It's not a long reading, and I think it's worth uh, our time. And so, the, the, the NIV should come up uh, on the screen next to me uh, as well. Uh, It's just the next one down. Don't worry if it doesn't, I can read it for us. This is the one, there we go. It is because of him, that is God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Last week, as I said, we were brought to this, uh, this gateway of this multi-dimensional worlds of our union with Christ. When we saw that the predominant way that the apostles that Paul and that the, the entire early church thought of themselves was not so much as Christians. Uh, the the word Christian comes up only three times in the entire New Testament. But almost exclusively they thought of themselves as men as women who are in Christ Jesus. That language of being in Christ and united to him is on every page of the New Testament. It's in virtually every uh, paragraph of the New Testament. But not only is the, is the language uh, kind of predominant, uh, all of the, the metaphors, the images that are painted throughout the New Testament, by and large, are also speaking of our union with Christ, a marriage union to become one, a vine and a branch where that vine uh, is, the source, is the, the source of nourishment into which that, that branch is engrafted. A head and a body of eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ by faith, of dying with Him and being raised with Him. Yes, even the Holy Sacrament of Baptism is not so much about our professional faith as it is about our union with Christ. We have died with Him and we have been raised uh, with Him. It is a picture fundamentally Of our union with Christ. And even when the language and the the imagery of our union with Christ is absent. It still tends to form the the backdrop, the context for almost everything that the New Testament writers have to say about living the Christian life. The call of extravagant grace, the call to come and rest is found in Christ. The call of, of radical obedience, the call to come and die is found in Christ. I've been reading this uh, book in preparation. It's it's by a guy called uh, Rankin uh, Wilburn. Uh, He says uh, this uh, of our union with Christ. He says, And because of our union with Christ, these songs of extravagant grace and radical discipleship can no more be separated in your life than Christ himself can be torn in two. These two melodies meet in harmony in him in whom they have always met In other words, our union with Christ by faith encompasses and affects every area, every facet, every moment of life. So we need to have this song on repeat, don't we, in our minds and in our hearts. In fact, grasping what it means to be in Christ enables us to learn how to live the Christian life. As Sinclair Ferguson remarks, it's what gives our Christian life rhythm and balance and clarity and ultimately being in Christ is what keeps our life on the path of godliness. Now, we're still standing in this, this gateway, uh, so to speak. We're peering out into this, this multi-dimensional world of union with Christ. And 1 Corinthians 1 verse 30, and particularly the second half, it pushes us just a few steps further uh, into this world. Because Paul says, And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God who became to us wisdom from God. Now, nobody wants to be a fool, uh, do they? At least not in their right mind anyway. I mean, we all have the ability, don't we, to uh, laugh at ourselves, at least uh, some of us do, when we make an obviously dumb statement in the midst of others, and we so desperately just wish we could gather up all those words and somehow put them back uh, in our mouth and carry on. Maybe when we, we put our foot in it, By mere accident. Or maybe when we we stand and boldly bout out the the, the first two lines of to God be the glory. When the the caption clearly says, solo. (laughs) We can all act the fool, can't we? But at the end of the day, nobody wants to actually be a fool. When that time comes, and it's coming for all of us, where where friends and family and colleagues are gathered for our funeral, we want our lives to have meant something, to have mattered. We want to to leave a a, a legacy for people to think highly of us and say things like, what a great guy. What a a shining light, full of wisdom. What a beautiful soul she was. And if uh, that's what's a little bit too narcissistic for you, too self-centered and inward-focused as as something of a life goal, at the very least I'm pretty sure, not 100%, but pretty sure that what nobody wants is for their tombstone to be unveiled and the inscription to read, Proverbs 26.11, like a dog that returns to its vomit, here lies a fool who repeated his folly. Nobody, Nobody wants that, do they? I haven't seen that inscription in any uh, graveyard that I've walked through recently, I don't know if you have. And if you do, take a picture, send it to me. Why? Because in our right mind, no one wants to be a fool. We want to be wise, don't we? Maybe not the wisest person on the planet, but, but we, want, we want to be uh, wise, at least not a fool. We want to make our wise life choices. We want to be wise in what we choose to study in the career path that we decide on. We want to be wise in the kind of person we choose to marry in the school that we send our kids to. We want to be wise in how we invest our time, our money, our life. If we were able to, we're not. But if we were able to to, to kind of draw that line that separates the wise from the foolish, we'd always want to draw that line just, just below us, wouldn't we? So that we're in the wise part, not in the foolish part. The great challenge we all face, however, the tension that we all experience is that in our world, in this life at least, there are quite different ways of defining what it looks like to be wise. Here's one way of defining what wisdom looks like. And it's not in the form of a a dictionary definition, but rather it's embodied, it's personified, if you like, in a Facebook post that I came across this week. Uh, Maybe you saw it too. Uh, There's a picture of a guy and he's, he's proudly standing next to him an Emirates sign. He's about to catch his flights to Dubai. He's wearing designer clothes, carrying Gucci suitcases, Rolex on the wrist, and some form of sneakers that only the young people in this room would identify. For us oldies, let's just say that you can't get them at Barter, right? And then what followed was a series of pictures of this guy lying in different poses in his first-class seats. And the caption read, You call it corruption... But when it comes your way, you call it connections. And even Christians will call it grace. I'm like a tree that's planted by the rivers of water. Everything I do prospers. Praying emoji, praying emoji, praying emoji. I don't know this person, don't know his character, don't know his motives. But from all that's been brought to light over the recent weeks, it's clear that in his mind, in his own eyes at least, he feels like he's made some wise decisions, some wise life choices. I don't know, maybe you think so, too. But nevertheless, what's really interesting for us this afternoon is that um, this idea of wisdom is not so different from the kinds of wisdom that have begun to grip the church in Corinth, the letter that Paul is writing here. It's a wisdom that is largely defined in worldly terms. It's a wisdom that's largely built on on kind of so-called right decisions and sound judgments. But that means that it's also a wisdom that, that's largely based on a matter of opinion. Uh, in 1 verse 12, Paul laments, doesn't he? Uh, I, uh, some of you say, I follow Paul, or, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or, or I follow Christ. But when it's based on a matter of opinion, who gets to say who's right in the end? Who gets to say who's right and who's wrong? And so it's a wisdom that also ends, ends up um, uh, dividing, uh, disrupting. But according to one commentator... In Corinth, at least, it went much deeper than this, even. He says that the Corinthians' view of Christian leaders as teachers of wisdom rarely ministers to their own exaltation. It's true that they boast about certain great names, but only ready to boast about themselves. And so this is a wisdom that thrives on the adoration and the applause of everyone watching on. It has built into the fabric of its DNA a deep sense of of self-sufficiency and self-congratulation. I've made wise choices. Look at the choices that I've made. And I think it's pretty obvious that this kind of wisdom is the same kind of wisdom that's gripping the church in Zimbabwe today. He kind of mocks in his Facebook posts, doesn't he? Even Christians will call it grace. And then he follows on by applying Psalm 1 to himself, at least the positive parts of of Psalm 1. He fails to mention, doesn't he, that the way of the wicked will perish. But the problem, I think, is that in Zimbabwe, we're all buying into it, aren't we? We're buying into this way of wisdom. Just like the church in Corinth, we're fascinated with this kind of, this worldly wisdom, where what really matters to us is style and eloquence and rhetorical skill. Can they, can they drop a line? Can they give us a soundbite worthy of sharing to my social feeds? Bonus points if they're wearing $1,000 sneakers and oversized reading glasses. It's a wisdom that, that says our personal connections with gifted leaders are a path to advancement in the church and in life. Where we boast of the tightness of our relationship to a certain prophet or a certain businessman because actually it's just a backhanded way of speaking highly of ourselves of boasting about ourselves and our own wisdom. And yet Paul says, he says that there is another, another kind of wisdom on offer in our world. It's just that it's a wisdom that's not found in you. It's found outside of you, because it's found in Christ. Verse 30, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. That is righteousness and sanctification and redemption. You see, these, these, are, these are two entirely different kinds of wisdom. They're completely different in nature. They're, they're of a different uh, order altogether. It's not, it's not that they're similar, but one kind of wisdom is just slightly more, more wise than the other. He says, no, these are chalk and cheese. They couldn't be more different. They're like oil and water. They stand opposed to one another. One, one comes from man. It comes from the bottom up. It comes from the inside out, from within you. He says the other comes from God. It comes from the top uh, down, from outside in. He says it's found outside of you. One takes a lifetime to acquire, and even then there's no guarantee that you attain it. The other is a gift freely given. No working for it, no working at it no working to acquire it. It's a gift, and once it's given, it's yours forever. One is steeped in self-sufficiency and always heads towards self-congratulation. The other leans into our absolute insufficiency and begins and ends with humble gratitude. One, one is found apart from Christ, and one is found only in Christ, in being united to Him. And remember that it is in our union with Christ. It is by being united to him by faith that who Christ is. And all that is Christ. And all that Christ has becomes yours. Because Christ is one with you. And you are one with him. He's riveted you to himself. He's welded you to himself. He, he has bound you to himself by the power of his spirit. You are really, actually, meaningfully, meaningfully united to Christ by faith. And we don't just get part of Christ, we get all of him, the whole of him, and all of his benefits. You get both Christ and his work. A Team, team Hoyt is uh, apparently their name, was a father and son team, uh, a duo who used to compete in Ironman triathlons. I don't know if you've uh, ever competed in any kind of triathlon, but an Ironman is like the pinnacle, right? a 3.8-kilometer swim, a 180-kilometer bike ride, and a 42-kilometer run just to finish it off, just a a wee marathon right at the end to, to kind of finish things off. And in Team Hoyt, the son, whose name was Rick, had cerebral palsy. He couldn't swim. He couldn't ride. He couldn't run two steps, let alone a marathon. And so for the swim, his dad bound himself to his son using a rope, attached it to his body, and then pulled his son along behind him in a boat. 3.8 kilometers of swimming in the ocean where the son found everything that he needed in his father. For the cycle, his dad built a specially designed tandem with only one set of pedals, 180 kilometers uh, uphills and down valleys, where every single pedal the son benefited from the person and work of his father. For the run portion, the father would push his son in a wheelchair the entire way, 42 kilometers, an entire marathon, having swung 3.8 kilometers, having ridden 180 kilometers with your son on your back, an entire marathon, meaningfully united to his dad. Where who his dad was <laughs> It's quite a picture. And all that his dad had was his. And so as this, this kind of a whole multi-dimensional world of our union with Christ begins to unfold before us, we're only a matter of steps into this world. But it's a world in which Paul says Christ becomes to us wisdom from God. Which means that no matter how wise you may appear in the eyes of the world, no matter how wise you may appear in your own eyes, apart from Christ, you, may, you remain nothing but a fool in the eyes of God. It's in Christ and our union with Him that God has provided the perfect fullness of wisdom. Everything that we need for this life and the next, that is our righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. In other words, it is in Christ that we find the kind of wisdom that justifies. We find the kind of wisdom that sanctifies. We find the kind of wisdom that redeems. And so this is a wisdom of an entirely different order, isn't it? It's completely different to the wisdom of the world. This is not a wisdom concerned with making better choices, with um, growing in social status, with developing rhetorical prowess, but this is a wisdom that has everything to do with the most profound issues and ideas of life and death, of salvation itself. No worldly wisdom, no human wisdom comes close to having the ability to, to make us right with God. No worldly wisdom has the power to enable, to enable you to live rightly for God. No, no human wisdom has, have, has the, the resources to, to buy you back from sin and Satan. But all of that is ours in Christ. Because who he is and all that he is and all that is his is ours in him. Even our sanctification is found outside of us and in Christ. Did you notice that? Because it's not the way that we normally talk about sanctification, is it? Justification, being made righteous with God, right? being made righteous before God, we're very happy with that being the entirely the, the work of God, the work of Christ on our behalf. But sanctification, that's, that's our work. That's our side of the, the equation. The process of becoming more holy, that's our part of the work to do. But not in this multidimensional world. Not in this world of being in Christ. Paul says that both our righteousness and our sanctification flow from our union with Christ. John Calvin, commencing on these verses, writes, "For these fruits of grace, by that he means uh, righteousness and sanctification, these fruits of, fruits of grace are connected together, as it were, by an indissoluble tie, so that he who attempts to sever them does, in a manner tear Christ in pieces. therefore, the man who seeks to be justified through Christ by God's unmerited goodness, consider that, consider that this uh, sorry, consider that this cannot be attained." without his taking him at the same time for sanctification. Or in other words, being renewed to innocence and purity of life. Calvin is saying that in our relationship with Jesus, we get both righteousness and sanctification, or we get none. You get both, or you get none. Because both come out of our dynamic union with Christ. Yes, our union with Christ carries a, a kind of structural, legal dimension, like a marriage in which we're declared righteous by the work of the Son on the cross. But our union with Christ also carries this more organic dimension, like a branch engrafted into a vine. So we find in Him a source of nutrients and, and vitality that empowers us to live differently. And in our union with Christ, we get the whole of Him, not just part of Him, we get all of Him and all of His blessings. We get all of Him or we get nothing. And this I know is, is, is new to some of us. It's going to be a little bit uh, disorienting, I get that. And so we're gonna spend the whole of, of next Sunday in this kind of space, fleshing out a little and, and grounding, uh, grounding it in life, thinking particularly in terms of this, this idea of our sanctification coming out of our union with Christ, because I think we get that so wrong in the evangelical world. Come to Jesus by faith. Now continue the Christian life by X, Y, and Z. And that is not how it works. We come to Jesus for everything that we need. Righteousness and sanctification, they both flow out of him and his work. But before the mist begins to descend, I hope we're beginning to see that this, this multi-dimensional world that is our union with Christ, it opens up, it expands, it, it has a bearing on every aspect of the Christian life, every facet, every moment. That as we come to see ourselves less as, as Christian and more as those in Christ, united to Him by the power of His Spirit, so we'll come to see that the whole of our salvation, from election to glorification and everything in between, is ours in Christ. How in Christ we're blessed with every spiritual blessing. How in Christ we're already raised and seated with Him in the heavenly places. How in Christ we've died to sin and been raised to newness newness of life. How in Christ we're never alone. Not in the heat of our sin. Not in the worst moment of our suffering. How in Christ we've been born again to a living hope. That will never perish. Never fade. How in Christ we both come and rest. And come and die. It is in Christ. That we find the only wisdom that really matters in this world. Which means that. As I said last week, we need to always push through, don't we, to verse 31? So that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. You see, in the scheme of salvation, there is no room for boasting as Christians because everything that we have, we have found outside of ourselves and in Christ. We have no wisdom that contributed to our salvation. We found that wisdom in Christ. And verse 30 makes it very clear that we are in Christ because of God's work in us. But you are in Christ Jesus because of him. Now we don't tend to go around uh, boasting about ourselves. That's a little bit too pretentious these days, isn't it? We all know that's uh, wrong and not something that we're meant to do as, as Christians. And yet this idea of self-exalting, I think, is, is, is a space that we're so uh, familiar with that actually we're, we're, we're quite okay with, in some sense, uh, putting ourselves forward, exalting ourselves as if we've done something, as if we've been the wise ones to make a good decision, as if we are the ones who are, are, are on a path to some form of salvation, and we're the ones who are making wise, sound judgments along that path. And yet that is a wisdom of an entirely different order. God sees that wisdom and he says, if that wisdom comes apart from Christ, then you are nothing but a fool in my eyes. No room for boasting here. No room for self-exaltation. But there is room for boasting in the Lord. That the one who boasts, boasts in him. Boasts in the one who has given you everything, who has given you life and life to the full. The one who has given you your righteousness and sanctification and, and redemption as a free gift in him. You found it apart from yourself, outside of yourself. And by grace, you have been given Christ and all of his benefits. And so let me pray for us this afternoon. Our Father in heaven, we thank and praise you for the reality of being in Christ by faith. That in him, in him we have our, our righteousness, our sanctification, our, our redemption. We have everything that we need. That in him, we are saved, that in Him we have been given the wisdom that comes from You. And Father, as we continue through this series of the coming weeks, and as we begin to apply some of what this actually means for the way that we live and the way that we pursue our life now, Father, we do pray that we are those who have this, this song of union with Christ on loud, on repeat, so that we're those who can bring together those, those dual voices, those dual calls to come and rest and to come and die to not prioritize one over the other, to not raise and elevate one over the other, but to find both of them perfectly at peace in your Son. And Father, would that give us a great uh, rhythm to the Christian life? Would that give us great clarity to the Christian life? Father, we pray that in Christ we might honor and glorify and boast in you. And so in his name we pray. Amen.